1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is where we're going to begin today, just kind of a, a running start into the message. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9, for God hath not appointed us, who's the us? Believers, those who have trusted Jesus Christ alone as Savior, not trusting in water baptism, not trusting in ordinances, commandments, laws of the church, sacraments, good works, anything but Jesus. It's the blood of Christ. It's the only hope for salvation, what Jesus did on the cross for us. For God has not appointed us, believers, to wrath, but to obtain salvation or deliverance by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. You know, in preparing this series, it's usually not an issue of what I'm going to include. It's an issue of how much I have to cut out because of the limited amount of time. I get very frustrated when I see this. I read this and I'm thinking, boy, I wish I could, you know, just preach on this, but we've got verse-by-verse studies in all of these books, and so you can go back and refer to those and hear it in a little bit more detail. But notice this, he's talking to the church. Now, it's interesting, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the end part of chapter 4 talks about the rapture of the church, and then starting in the chapter 5, which remember, there are no chapter divisions in Scripture. Those are put there by man. They're not in the text itself. If you were to look at the original manuscripts, which Anyways, if you were to look at those, you would not find those. Here's the point. Here's the point. What you find in 1 Thessalonians, you find Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica. These are believers in Christ. He's encouraging them. He says, listen, the Lord's coming. He described the rapture. He says, comfort one another with these words. And then he starts talking about the day of the Lord. Now that, that's a linear understanding of scripture. It's, it's completely accurate. And the day of the Lord begins right after the rapture. Now listen, folks. He talks in the first part of 1 Thessalonians 5 about the contrast between the people who are lost in the world, children of darkness, and us who are the children of light. And he makes it very clear after the passage on the rapture that we are not to be included with those people who are left behind at the rapture, okay? And then he sandwiches 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 8. On the other end of that, he puts these verses, verses 9 and 10, for God hath not appointed us, there we go again, the believers, to wrath. Now the wrath in the context is not so much talking about hell, it's talking about the day of the Lord. It's talking about the day of wrath that God is going to be pouring out on the world. That's true to the context. God has not appointed us, believers, to wrath. See, this is a pre-tribulational rapture. And we know that's the way it'll be. But to obtain salvation. Now, when you see the word salvation, people automatically think it's talking about going to heaven. The context is talking about, the word salvation means deliverance. Every time it's used, it's talking about deliverance. The question with a good person who does good Bible study is this, deliverance from what? Always go to the context. The context is deliverance from the tribulation period. God has not appointed the believer to wrath, the day of wrath, the day of the Lord, but to obtain deliverance, how? By our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. That's how we got our deliverance. 
Whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. And so the believers will be raptured, taken out of the world before the seven-year tribulation period begins. Now, let me, let me show you our chart one more time here. Well, we'll see it before the study is over. Let's look at that, our chart. And here we saw, of course, the first coming of Christ to earth. He lived his life, the death of Christ, the resurrection. And then something that wasn't known in the Old Testament was the church age. That's where we're living today. It was a mystery. It was a parenthesis in the plan of God. When the church is taken out at the rapture of the church, those left on the earth will be going through this seven-year tribulation period we've been talking now for several weeks about. The time of Jacob's trouble, okay? It's where God's wrath will be poured out on the earth. God has not appointed the believer today to wrath, but to obtain deliverance through our Lord Jesus Christ. However, those who don't go up at the rapture will go through this period of time. And this is what we're talking about today. And then we're going to touch just a little bit about the second coming of Christ today at the end of that seven-year tribulation period, okay? So understand that. Now, as the seven-year tribulation period continues, things will continue to deteriorate in the world and the nations will revolt against the Antichrist as time goes on. In other words, his one-world government is going to start dismantling. It's going to start falling apart. There will be the battle of Gog and Magog, which in scripture, there's two battles of Gog and Magog. This one refers to the one in Ezekiel 38 and 39, which is an invasion from the north on the nation of Israel. It will include Russia. It'll include Turkey, Iran, Libya, other nations. Now this was prophesied some 2,600 years ago. And this is, folks, this could take place at any time. I think it's going to take place during the tribulation period because the Jews will be in the land. You know, the things you see going on right now and the, the brokering of, of peace with these other nations and all that, it's very interesting because there has to be a time when Israel is considering themselves, they are dwelling, according to Ezekiel 38, 39, they are, they're thinking, okay, we are dwelling and we have peace and we have safety where we're at. So that could play into this, okay? It could be leading into this point. There's got to be a consideration of peace and safety among the Jewish people when this invasion takes place. And so I think it's gonna take place during the tribulation period in Ezekiel 38, 39. We don't have time to cover this in detail during this series. That's not the point. I'm just letting you know that it is there. I will say this though, it has to be mentioned that if you have an old Schofield study Bible, okay, copyright 1917, that's the time around the time of the Bolshevik revolution. The notes in the Schofield study Bible 1917 Russia was nothing then, okay? The Soviet Union had not been formed. None of those years where they were such a, a world, a major world power. 1917, Dr. Schofield in the notes said, all the scholars agree, this is talking about Russia. All of them agree. This is before Russia was a world power even. Those notes are there. You know, the skeptics of what we believe Boy, they thought they were going to have a field day when the uh, Soviet Union fell, quote unquote fell. They said, okay, now what are you guys doing? They're not the major world power now. Now, now what do you think of that? What do you think of that? Well, they're coming back. 
We know what's gonna happen. Not only that, folks, but this invasion, it's kind of interesting where we stand today with this invasion because actually Russia has come down and Russia is just on the other side of the northern border of Israel right now. They've got troops. They're there. They're occupying the land there, just north of the border of Israel, north of the Golan Heights. Now think about that. They're ready to make a move. Something is going to cause them, and a lot of people are starting to think, we don't know this for sure, but a lot of people are starting to believe that the thing that is going to cause Russia and these Islamic nations, did you hear what I just said? Islamic nations to come down and attack Israel is going to be the natural gas, the resources that Israel has come upon in recent years because they need them. And so there is going to be this attack from the north, the Gog and Magog. God himself will supernaturally destroy the armies that come down. Now, this is my opinion. I cannot prove this, but this is my opinion. I personally believe this will be the end of Islam. I think this will be the end of it. They will be so devastated as Islamic nations that basically that will be the end of it supernaturally, directly from God himself, their armies that come against Israel will be decimated. Now, that was prophesied 2,600 years ago, and it will most likely take place during the first half of the seven-year tribulation period. Then, of course, as we've already studied, there's the abomination of desolation, where the Antichrist is going to go into a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, claim himself to be God and to be worshiped as God, as we have seen. That's in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 12, Matthew chapter 24. During this tribulation, seven-year tribulation period, millions of people are going to put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior, despite the fact that persecution of believers and also of the Jewish people will be ramped up during this period of time. And during this period of time, God is going to be pouring out his judgments on the world. The world will be in chaos. Understand this, folks. This is what's coming. And it could begin very, very soon. The world will be in chaos. All the nations of the world will be drawn to the land of Israel towards the very end of the seven-year period, the tribulation period, for an all-out war. I call it World War III. But they will be surprised... (laughs) on who it is they will be fighting and how fast they will ultimately be defeated when he shows up, okay? Now keep this in mind. No matter what anyone does in this world, God will fulfill his plan. I am amazed by the arrogance and the pride of man, thinking that he is God, that he can control the weather, that he can control the environment, that he can control the world. And here's a handful of people who think that they have the answers for all of mankind. It's such incredible arrogance. No, God is going to fulfill his plan and he's told us what his plan is. It's already in scripture. It's not a matter of, is it going to happen? It's just a matter of when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen. 
God will fulfill his plan. This is evident throughout all of history. Even creating man with the ability to make choices, God will still accomplish his plan. Do you understand that? I say, well, what if people don't want to cooperate with God? He still has a plan. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. As I've mentioned other times in this series, prophecy is the mold of history. What God has told us is going to happen, that is exactly the way history is going to go. Now, go with me to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16, as things continue to get out of control, as things continue to fall apart, God pouring out his wrath through a series of judgments on the planet, here we are coming towards the end of the tribulation period, and it says in Revelation 16, 12, it says, and the sixth angel poured out his vial, his bowl, upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. So here we go. The government of the Antichrist is falling apart. There's all kinds of war escalating on the planet and God dries up the water of the river Euphrates so that the armies of the east can come across. Where are they coming to? They are coming to Israel. The armies of the world are coming to Israel. And so we see this, the Euphrates River will be dried up so that the armies can come to not only Israel, they're going to come to something called Armageddon. Armageddon is real. It's also interesting that uh, the kings of the east, (laughs) the word east means the kings of the, the word east means rising sun. Now, isn't that kind of interesting? What's the flag? Japanese flag. It's a rising sun. That's what it has to do with. These nations are going to be coming across. The great populations of Asia, along with other great armies of the world, will come across the river to do battle at Armageddon. Armageddon, by the way, is a real place in Israel. This is an ongoing war campaign. It isn't just one battle. That culminates in the land of Israel, particularly in the valley of Jezreel in the north of Israel, and then it works its way south. Verse 13, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Now the dragon is Satan, the uh, false prophet, or excuse me, the beast is the Antichrist, and the false prophet is the false prophet who testifies and supports the Antichrist. You have an unholy trinity here. You've got Satan, you've got the beast, and you've got the false prophet. Isn't it interesting? The beast, he's referred to as the Antichrist. The Antichrist. Verse 14, and they are the spirits of devils or demons working miracles. Now catch that. Supernatural activity will be unprecedented during this tribulation period. They are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world. So here are demons going out Spirits of demons going out, working miracles, and they are going out, now watch what they're doing, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief, 
Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Now, this promise in verse 15, and I'll get back to these, these verses in just a minute. This promise in verse 15, this is for the believers during the tribulation period to be watching because the Lord is coming back at the second coming. This song they sang this morning, it's really having to do with the tribulation saints taken from the gospels. It's not a rapture song. It's taken from the tribulation saints. And so the Lord is coming back at the second coming, verse 16, and he gathered them, all the armies. The demons go out, they are gathering the armies, they're influencing the armies, they're manipulating the armies, and he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon, literally the Mount of Megiddo, the Mount of Megiddo. This is near the city of Megiddo, overlooking the valley of Jezreel. Now, this is current. Do you understand that? It's very interesting. Our first time that we ever went to Israel, our tour guide, he was a, he's a nationalist Jew. He was not a Christian. Okay, He was not a, a Jewish believer in, in Jesus Christ as Savior. But here he is, and there we stood in Megiddo, and we are overlooking the valley of Megiddo. And he said, one day... We know one day that there is going to be an invasion from the north that is going to come against our nation, and there's going to be a great battle one day. Now, he was kind of putting some things together, but nevertheless, he was still understanding some prophetic scriptures. He said, there will be a great battle in this valley. And here you are, <laughs> you're standing there, okay, in the, in the hill country of Israel, and you're standing there, and we are looking at this huge property there, the Valley of Jezreel. Now, a third point I want to mention is these are not literal frogs, but they're demons, verses 13 and 14. They will be working in the lives of people then, and can I say they are working in the lives of people today. People say, well, I don't believe that Satan is real, okay? I don't believe in demons. I don't, you people, you're kind of quirky about these kind of things. Folks, there is a spiritual war going on that we can, we can see the results of it. We may not see Satan actually, you know, with our eyes or the demons with our eyes, but we see this war, this battle going on today. You might say, well, so uh, who's going to win? Well, that's almost an embarrassing question for you to ask. God is going to win. Understand this. You know, people say, well, there's Jesus and then there's Satan. And it's kind of like a boxing match, you know, and there they are and they're duking it out and all these kind of things. No, no, you have lowered Jesus Christ. He is almighty God. There's no real contest there. Satan's doom, uh, listen, Satan has already been defeated. He was defeated at the cross and at the resurrection. That was it for him. Just a matter of time. But it's what's really interesting is we see this demonic activity and we see them working to bring nations. And you know what they're actually doing? They're actually doing what God wants them to do. He's allowing them to work. They have a strong influence and power over the kings and the leaders of the earth. Notice that they work miracles, okay? There will be a series of incredible and inexplicable wonders going on all the way through the tribulation period. The supernatural will not seem as supernatural because it'll be so prevalent. 
This leads us to another important vital point, which is number five. We see the power of God using demons and bringing the nations of the world to the valley of Armageddon in verse 16. Now, you know, it's an interesting fact, isn't it? The world leaders will not listen to nor obey God, but they will obey the demons. Now, think of that. And by the way, isn't that exactly what we see today? We see a culture, we see people who are, who are so anti-Christian and insulting and hateful towards Christianity, and they think, oh, you know, we're standing up and we're going to do away with Christianity. No, friend, you're not. You are being manipulated by demons. You are being led astray by demons. Your life is going to be destroyed, and you can't even see it. Jesus says, the thief, the enemy... I think it's referring to the devil. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy people. Jesus said, I came that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. See, Satan is in the killing business. It's what he's all about. Killing, killing. Hold your place and look with me to Revelation 14. It's another reference to when this battle takes place and what is going to be going on or when this campaign of war is taking place. And look what it says in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 18. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire and cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle saying, thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. So God continues to pour out his wrath. Now watch this. And the wine press was trodden without or outside the city and blood came out of the wine press even to the horse's bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Now you need to understand this. In the resource, every prophecy of the Bible, it says this, and I quote, there will be actual blood that is spattered as high as the horse's bridles. The fact that this extends 160 miles, 160 miles, indicates the scope of the Battle of Armageddon, which covers the whole Holy Land with the judgment of God on the armies that are there gathered covering the whole area where the armies are located. From Megiddo, the valley, okay, the valley of Megiddo, Armageddon, Jezreel, valley of Jezreel, all the way down, all the way down to Jerusalem. Now let's go, we've been looking here in Revelation, let's go back to Matthew 24. Remember that's where this series has started, that's where we chose to start the series. Matthew 24, turn there with me. Matthew chapter 24, because these things so beautifully parallel. When you read Matthew 24, now if you have come up in a Bible-believing and preaching, teaching church like ours, where you believe, you know, you understand the dispensations and you, you take a literal interpretation of Scripture, which is really the only way to do it, to really understand the Scriptures, to rightly divide the word of truth, you may not understand this, but I want you to know these people are out there. As a matter of fact, there's lots of them out there and they're growing in number. There are those who try to say that the events of Matthew 24 were fulfilled in the first century. 
that in essence, these are not long-term prophecies. These are short-term prophecies. And a lot of these were fulfilled around 70 AD or leading up to 70 AD when the Roman general Titus came in and decimated Jerusalem. And so they say, well, these are not, this is not talking about some literal thing that's going to take place down the road. No, friend, listen, this is impossible. That interpretation is impossible. The only way this makes sense is if it is a long-term prophetic picture. While some of these things have similarities between the destruction of Jerusalem and or with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, and the first part of the chapter could refer to that, but much in this chapter has never been fulfilled ever in the history of the world. It is still waiting. If part of this chapter has been literally fulfilled, there is no reason to believe that all of this chapter will not be literally fulfilled. This is not figurative language. This is not, we're not spiritualizing the text. We're believing it just the way it is. That's the proper approach to scripture. Now, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 22, which is a scripture we've seen several times in this series, Jesus says, and except those days, what days? The days of the tribulation period. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. In other words, no one would be left on the planet. But for the elect's sake, that's the believers, those days shall be shortened, okay? Mark's account of this, Mark's statement of this verse, it says, and except the Lord hath shortened, those days. In other words, the tribulation period is only seven years long. If it was longer than that, no one would be left on the planet because of the destruction. Verse 26, wherefore, if they shall say unto you, behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers. Believe it not, talking about Jesus. Now, why would people be saying that? Because they are trying to trick the tribulation saints. They're trying to flush out the tribulation saints and get them to go places. That way they can arrest them and then execute them. Don't believe it. They say, he's over here, he's over there. No, don't believe it, because I'll tell you why. Look at verse 27. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Okay? Now we are going to see next week, we're going to cover this. When Jesus comes back at the second coming, that'll be the culmination, the final part of the battle of Armageddon. He will win and there will be a devastation of bodies all over. And it will be a, a feast for the birds of prey. You might say, yeah, those vultures and all that. Now, I hate to burst your bubble on this, but there will be some bald eagles there too. Because bald eagles are birds of prey, in case you didn't know that. And they love roadkill just as much as that ugly vulture does. Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. This is going to be an awesome time, a cataclysmic time on the planet. Now again, hold your place here. We'll be back, but go with me to Revelation chapter six. Here's some scriptures we've already seen, but I want to review them. 
And you see in Revelation chapter 6, see what Revelation chapter 6 does is it gives us a brief outline of the tribulation period. And in Revelation chapter 6, in verse 12, it says, now remember what we just read. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Read this with me in Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. It says, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of air, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places." Do you see how unprecedented this is going to be on the planet? And then you've got people today saying, well, if we can just get people to drive electric cars, everything will be good, we'll save the planet. (laughs) What a pathetic perspective, friend. This is real. This is God. God has a perfect track record. Zandy's been mentioning in Sunday school, talking about the promises of God. God has a perfect track record. And what he says is going to take place. Listen, you go out and buy a car that runs on gas. No problem. No problem, because it's not going to matter. Matthew 24, let's go back there. It says in verse 30, and then, after these cataclysmic events take place, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. This is at the end of the tribulation period. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to another. Notice he doesn't take them to heaven. This is not the rapture. This is the second coming to earth. Now learn the parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that the summer is nigh. So likewise, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. This generation, volume upon volume upon volume of book has been written on this issue in verse 34. The answer, what it's talking about, is simply in the context. This generation, which leads us to our sixth point today, this generation simply refers to those who are living on the earth when these things take place. That's what it's talking about. It's not talking about, okay, well, from the time Israel was started in 1948 or or reborn as a nation, 1948, this generation, so let's figure out what it means by generation. This source says this and this source says this and all these complicated formulas and ideas and all that. No, it's very simple. Jesus said the generation that experiences these things, they will be the generation that sees the second coming of Christ. These things refers to the truths we have seen in Matthew 24. Then verse 35, it says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Now I want to spend a little time here on this last point because it's incredibly important. And it is this, you can believe God because 
His word always proves itself to be true. Always, always, always. God's word will never fail, ever. And he says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. By the way, the present heaven and the present earth are going to pass away one day. We'll talk more about that in a couple weeks. But the word of God will never pass away. What is he saying? You can believe it. You can stake your eternity on it. You can stake your life on it. You can stake the direction of your life on the scriptures. You can believe it because God is always true to his word. Turn with me to 1 John chapter five. The word of God has never been wrong. The Lord controls eternity and every person on this planet is accountable to him. I wish our lawmakers understood that, okay? Friend, you are accountable for your actions. You are accountable for your decision. You are accountable for the way you live, the laws you try to implement, the agendas you have. You are accountable. The brazen rebellion of today, folks, is coming to an end one day. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If there is one thing I wish I could get across to those who are in civil government today, those who are in in government authority positions, friend, according to scripture, the decisions you are making for the society that you are quote unquote ruling over or making decisions for, God is gonna hold you accountable for the decisions you're making. You literally will stand before God one day and answer for them. And when we have laws passed in this nation having to do with murdering babies in the womb, even those who are come out of the womb and they decide, and legislation is passed and one side of the building stands up and erupts in a standing ovation for that, you're gonna give an account one day, friend. The only hope you have is the hope of every person, the only hope there is, and that is by trusting in Jesus Christ as your savior, and he will forgive your sin because your position is a sinful, wicked one. The brazen rebellion is coming to an end. I can't wait. I've often wondered, during the kingdom age, when Jesus is ruling and reigning on this planet, are there gonna be any lawyers at all. If there are, their only job will be to represent him and prove that the wicked are guilty because the wicked will have no argument. The Bible tells us during the kingdom age, justice will be swift. And by the way, it will be perfect. People who lie under oath will be taken care of in a moment. Well, this is the way it was. No, it wasn't. Or they stand up, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? And they say, oh, yes. And the Lord will say, you're a liar. I know your heart. I'm reading you. Turn with me to 1 John 5. I think you're already there. Here's what we need to understand. It says in 1 John 5, verse 9, if we receive the witness of men, that's you believe what men tell you, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his son. He that believeth on the son of God hath the witness in himself. 
Now, what does that mean to believe on the name of the Son of God? You believe Jesus is God who came and went to the cross and made the full payment for your sin. You're trusting in him that he is the only Savior. You believe he came back from the dead. You put your faith in him for heaven. That's the concept here. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Now, you're not literally making God a liar. You're calling him a liar. You're making him out to be a liar. And friend, you'll be lost forever if that's your position. If you don't believe what God says. Because, why are you making him a liar? Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. And this is the record that God hath given to us. Eternal life. And this life, this eternal life is in his son. He that hath the son hath life. He that hath not the son of God hath not life. In other words, if you trust him as your savior, you have everlasting life. If you don't, you don't have everlasting life. It's just that simple. Verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know that you have it. Are you here today and you doubt whether you're going to heaven or not? You have not put your faith in Jesus Christ. You have not trusted in him. All you got to do is put your trust in Jesus Christ as your savior. It's not by works. It's by the grace of God. Look up here. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. Let me explain to you clearly the mechanics of this. You need to understand, friend, this hand representing you and me and this wallet representing our sin. Here we are. We're all sinners. God loves us. He hates our sin. For you to go to heaven, all your sin has to be God. As a matter of fact, you have to have the very righteousness of God. Well, none of us in ourselves are righteous. We're sinners. Therefore, we are disqualified. Our sin separates us from the Lord. Can't get to heaven with even one sin. Not even one. So people say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do good works. I'll go to church. I'll behave. I'll do all these. Wait a minute. Have you sinned? Well, yeah. Your good works are of no value. No value. You're not saved by your works. If you die with your sin, you'll be lost forever in hell. That's the truth of it. So what are you going to do? Wait a minute. Are you telling me the best I can do won't help me get to heaven? That's exactly what I'm saying. And if I die with my sin, I'll be lost forever. That's exactly what I'm saying. Well, I'm in trouble. Yes. But here's the good news. God provided the solution through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God. This hand representing him, he was sinless. And when Jesus went to the cross, he went there to die on the cross to pay for your sin and mine so we don't have to. That's exactly what he did. He took our sin upon himself. He made the payment. He was buried, came back from the dead. And he says, I've paid for your sin. If you will trust in me that I made that payment for you, I'll give you everlasting life. You can know you're going to heaven because I've given you a written guarantee here in verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. You can know you have eternal life. You can know it. So let me ask you today, do you know you have eternal life? Well, I hope so. I'm doing my best that you haven't understood it. You haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. 
It's a matter of you putting your faith in Jesus Christ that he has paid for all of your sin. Will you trust him as your savior? You might say, well, yeah, I trust him as my savior. Let me ask you this. If you were to die right now, do you know you go to heaven? Well, I, I hope so. Well, doesn't it say right there, if you believe, you, you know you have eternal life? Well, yeah, it says that, but you know, I don't know if I can really believe what God says there. You're calling God a liar. God can't lie. He's promising you. If you'll trust in his son, he will give you everlasting life. You can know you're going to heaven because the promise of God says so. Titus 1-2 says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. You can have it. You can know it today. If you've never trusted Christ as your savior, trust him as your savior. Friend, you not only get heaven, by the way, you also get the rapture of the church. You'll go up before this awful time, tribulation period begins. It's the best news in all the world. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.